So we mentioned that a central tenant in Judaism is character development. It's a very important part of Judaism. We have a lot of books starting with scripture. We have books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes that deal with character development. And really throughout our history, we've had many books written on personal development. And it's an important part of being Jewish, not just following rules and rituals, um, not just studying. Those are also very important parts, but a very important part of being Jewish is character development. And we've always put a very strong emphasis on character development, starting with our children, training them from when they were young, um, all the way up to adulthood. Adults need to develop their character as well. But one of the most challenging characters that we deal with is anger or frustration. And we all have it in some way or another. Everybody has moments that they lose their calm. Everybody has moments, um, something that sets them off. We lose our temper. Uh, for most of us, thankfully, that doesn't happen too often. For some, though, they can get their anger or their frustration can get triggered very quickly. And I say anger or frustration because sometimes the anger comes out in a strong, fierce anger. And sometimes it doesn't come out to the public, but it does impact the individual themselves in a very strong way. And, but some people do get angry very quickly or get angry very often. Um, also, as pointed out in Pirkei Avot, in Ethics of Our Fathers, um, in addition to the speed with which someone gets angry, um, there's also concern over the length of time that anger remains. So some people remain angry for a very long time, have a very hard time overcoming it once they have gotten angry. Um, and while others um, are able to calm down fairly quickly, get past that moment of anger. Um, both are challenging, whether one gets angry quickly or one has trouble calming down when they get angry. Um, it's very problematic because when we get angry or when we get frustrated, we lose control of ourselves. And this leads us to do things, say things when we are angry, when we're frustrated, when we've lost our calm. Um, it, it, tend, it leads us to do things that we're going to later regret. And this is particularly true with relationships. When we get angry, we can often get somebody whom we care about upset to the point that it can destroy our relationship. Um, and for those that live with someone or have to deal with someone or work with somebody, um, or even just driving in the street, you gotta deal with people who are angry all the time, um, especially these days. And um, it can be very uncomfortable. Um, you don't know what they're going to do next. It can be very scary. It can be uncomfortable. Even if you don't, you're not afraid they're going to harm you, it's still unpleasant to be around somebody who has lost their cool. Um, in addition, when we are angry, we don't make rational decisions. Um, even if they have nothing to do with our particular anger, we lose our ability to think rationally. And so, um, and often decisions that have nothing to do with the anger, and that's one of the reasons why road rage is so dangerous. Not only does the person who's controlling a car, um, which is a vehicle of death, um, not only are a very dangerous vehicle, not only can they do something in their anger, um, like try to cut someone off in a dangerous way who may have upset them, um, but also just simply basic decisions, such as the speed at which you should make a turn uh, or change lanes, um, can sometimes be clouded by anger, similarly to the way we're clouded when we have uh, when we have alcohol in our system or we have other drugs in our system. So 
Anger really leads people to make mistakes in judgment. Um, the Talmud points out that this happened to Moses uh, in a couple portions forward in Matos um, that we're going to read in two weeks. When Moses got angry at soldiers who were returning from battle in Midian, they had not followed his instructions. He had general reason, he had a genuine reason to be upset, but he had gotten angry. And as a result of this anger, he um, made some mistakes. And that's because even if you get angry legitimately, and even you'll, you will likely lead to make mistakes or um, make mistaken judgments, or he forgot things, um, that be, just because your mind is clouded at the moment that you are angry. The Talmud goes so far to say that getting angry is equivalent to idol worship. Kol hakoes ki'ilo oved avodazara. So it's like idol worship, a blasphemy. The cardinal sin in Judaism, um, it, uh, anger is equivalent to getting, uh, to worshiping idols or denying God's very existence. Why? What does anger and blasphemy have in common? So we're going to look at that and see why anger is considered not just a bad character, but it's something that really challenges our very core beliefs in Judaism. Before I get to that and countering our own anger, um, in addition to dealing with our own anger, we need to sometimes deal with the anger or frustration um, of people around us. People lose their calm, people lose their cool, uh, last couple months, people have been extremely stressed out. Um, many people are struggling financially. Many people just have trouble being alone. Um, it's hard to be alone, hard not to be around other people. Our plans were canceled. So a lot of people are dealing with increased frustration. Um, and we have to stand online for food. Now it's gotten a little better, but we did something that we never thought we would actually have to do. Um, stand online for food or get to get into a supermarket um, and for other things. And so it's led to a lot of people. I'm sure you've all witnessed it. I definitely have multiple times and many, many, many more times than I've seen ever in the past of people getting upset at um, uh, guards in the front of the store or um, other people in line and the like um, or other people in the store. And so when dealing with other people's anger, it's a little bit easier than dealing with our own. Um, it's somehow easier to help others often than to help ourselves or to build our own character. So in the book of Proverbs, the book of Mishlei, it gives us some good responses to dealing with other people's rage. Um, and Natanya quotes three responses from Mishlei, from Proverbs, um, as to how we can respond to other people's anger. Firstly, we're told, Ma'aneh rach meshiv chima. A gentle response disarms rage. If somebody gets angry at you, if somebody has lost their calm, respond calmly. If you respond strongly, even if it's not anger, but if you shout back or even speak firmly, you will often increase their rage. Respond calmly. Speak softly. Remain calm. When you are calm, you disarm other people's stress, other people's rage. So it's crucial to always remain calm. Now, it's not easy because when you see other people stressed, it increases your own stress levels. But it's important when you're near somebody who's stressed 
who's frustrated, who's angry, remain calm, respond calmly, respond softly. It's a hard thing to do, but it disarms rage. Another verse in the book of Mishle, in the book of Proverbs is, Ruach nicha tiyabesh garem. A broken spirit dries the bones. Broken spirit here, we mean humility. When somebody around you is stressed or angry, it's not a good time to stick up for yourself. It's not a good time to defend yourself. The best thing to tell somebody who's angry is, you are right. Even when they're wrong, tell them they're right. Later when they calm down, you could tell them, by the way, when I told you you're right, it was just to calm you down, you're really wrong. But at the time when they're angry, say, yes, you're right. It will disarm them. Just be humble. Standing up to them gets them more upset. When you argue back to someone who is argumentative, you make them dig in. They become more argumentative. When you agree, have you ever gotten into an argument with somebody and halfway through the conversation said, you know, you've convinced me you're 100% right. Try it. They're at loss for words. They won't know what to do next. You've disarmed them. They're looking to disagree. They often repeat their argument again and just repeat it again. You're 100% right. You've convinced me. Even though they may know they have not convinced you, they may know you're saying it just to disarm. It disarms them. Act humble. If somebody is angry, the best thing to do is, or stressed, act humble. A broken spirit dries bones. A third technique, a third thing that we're told in Mishlein Proverbs to respond to somebody who's stressed, frustrated, angry, is to um, show them love. The uh, Mishlei, it says, Kemayim ha-panim le-panim ken lev ha-adam la-adam. As water mirrors a face, when you put your, show your, put your face in front of the water, you see your face in the water, so too love mirrors love. When you show someone love and care and concern, they will respond with love. It's very hard to be upset at somebody who's showing you love. So if you show, you, if you show them love, if you show them care, you show them concern, you will disarm their rage. So from Mishnah, we have three techniques to deal with somebody else, family member, a friend, coworker, or even somebody else online in the store, or your, or someone, some, or a fellow driver, um, disarm their rage, uh, respond softly, remain humble, and show empathy and care, and that will disarm them. Very effective. Try it. It really works. Any comments or questions before we go further? You have to unmute yourself. What about asking for forgiveness? Uh, you could try that. You could just say you're right. I mean, that works the same way. Okay. Um, but you could just, just agree with them. If you agree, then what do they have to be angry about? 
you could say I'm sorry. Um, it could work as well the same way, even if you're not sorry. It's effective. It's effective and you want to just disarm them. Get them past the anger. Later, when they're calm, you could discuss why you were really right and why you would do it again. If you feel it helpful to be helpful, it's often not helpful. Any other questions? So that's the easy thing, to disarm somebody else who's angry. It's a lot more difficult to deal with our own frustrations, to deal with our own stresses. How do we overcome our own frustration and stress? So today there is a whole industry of anger management um, techniques, anger management courses, anger management classes. Today, um, sometimes it's even court mandated for people who end up in court due to anger. And um, so some people are mandated to learn how to control their anger. So there are many, many, many different techniques. And in Judaism too, with many books on self-development, we have many techniques as to how to overcome anger, how to overcome stress, how to overcome frustration. Today, I want to share with you a powerful, life-changing technique that comes from the book of Tanya. Tanya is the central book of Chassidus, um, written by Reb Shneir Zalman of Liadi, um, about just over about 230 years ago. And um, it's very powerful. It has a lot of very important life lessons and powerful character development um, tips and lessons. But per, one of its powerful lessons is how to overcome anger. And this is going to be, as you'll see, something that's very difficult to learn to do, to understand and learn to do. But if we do it, it is the most powerful technique to never get frustrated, never get upset, never get angry, even if we see it coming, to never get upset. Um, if we can learn this technique, and it will be difficult, but if we can learn this technique, it will change the way we live our life. Tanya points out that we get angry, frustrated, when the unexpected happens. If something bad happens that was expected, um, perhaps a loved one has been sick for some time, they've lived a, lived a long life and they die, it's devastating to lose the loved one, but we don't get angry. Um, when something we long expected happened, we may be upset, we may be pained, but we don't feel anger or frustration. Anger comes when something negative that was unexpected happens. And when that happens, what we do is, we, it, we didn't expect it to happen. It wasn't part of our plan. It wasn't part of our expectations. It wasn't what we were, what we, um, part of our view of how our life would go forward. It wasn't within our frame of reference, if you will, of what happened. Could be something very minor, like someone cutting us off or pushing in front of us in a store. It could be something very major, um, like getting badly hurt um, due to circumstances or due to somebody else's bad act. Um, or it could, be, it could be anything that we totally didn't expect. Something negative, unexpected happens. We try to assign blame for the unexpected event. And we vent our anger. 
against the item, um, sometimes it's a circumstance, or the individual, and sometimes that's ourselves, sometimes it's somebody else, whom we believe are to blame for whatever happened. So what triggers anger is something that we didn't expect happens. If we knew exactly what was going to happen, if it was exactly as we planned, even negative, while painful or upsetting, it would not get us, it would not trigger anger. It's only when something unexpected happens that we, our anger or frustration gets triggered. And we do that because we assign blame to something. This is the cause of the bad thing that happened. And therefore we vent or we show, we vent our anger on that thing that is to blame. Sometimes it can be a thing. Sometimes it can be a society. Sometimes it can be an organization, government, school, um, work, a company, an individual, a group of individuals, um, a nation. It can be sometimes ourselves that we blame, but we blame someone or something for what happened, and we therefore vent our anger onto that someone or something that we assign blame to for what happened. This, the Tanya tells us, can only happen in a world that we believe, which we believe circumstances or individuals, things or people, are to blame for bad things that happen to us. However, in Judaism, we believe that circumstances are never to blame for what happens to us. Rather, God is in control of everything that happens. Now let me explain. In Judaism, we believe in a concept in Hebrew called hashkacha pratit, which is often translated, roughly translated as providence. Um, it's somewhat similar to the Christian concept of providence. Hashkacha pratit, divine providence. Or what it means is that everything that happens is ordained, planned, and made to happen by God. Now, why is this? So the Tanya explains that this is based on our fundamental understanding of how creation works. We believe that our world and everything in it was created by God from nothing. There was nothing here before the moment of creation. And the moment that God brought it into being, everything in this world was created. However, there's a common misconception as to how creation works. People often think that God, at the moment of creation, created our world long, 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 long time ago, set all the rules, put all matter in place, set all the rules of physics and all the rules of reality in place, essentially press the go button, and then the world runs and functions on its own as its own independent existence. However, 
our Jewish traditions teach us that that is not what happened. When we make something, when we humans make something, we take one existing thing, say a block of wood, we cut it, we shape it, we bang it together, and we build a beautiful table, piece of furniture, or whatever else we may build. We took one thing, we shaped it into another thing. We can even, through chemical reactions, sometimes take one thing and turn it into a totally different chemical um, or a totally different substance. But we're taking one thing and turning it into something else. What happens though when you take nothing and you turn it into something? Well, we humans, or for that matter creations, don't have that ability to create something from nothing. But what if we did? What would that be like? So when you create something from something, you're not really creating. You're really shaping or forming, changing an existing thing. When you create something from nothing, though, our Jewish teachings tell us, that when creating something from nothing, the something has no reason to continue existing after creation. It must be held in place in order to continue existing. The best example that we have in our own experience is our own imagination. Everything that we imagine exists within our imagination but did not exist the moment before we imagined it. Picture that you're standing at a stadium with 50,000 fans cheering at that stadium. And now stop thinking about the stadium. All those fans have now disappeared. They're only going to exist in your imagination as long as you continue to imagine them. The moment you stop imagining them, they simply disappear they're gone. Start imagining them again, they're back there in your imagination. We, creation, are in the same sense figments of God's imagination. Now, it's not literally figments of God's imagination. Imagination is what humans do, not what God does. We believe that creation is real. However, creation only exists because God makes it exist. And God has to continue making creation exist at every single moment. If God stopped creating us for a moment, we would cease to exist. So don't think of God, of creation, like something that you make, you put there, and then it stays there. But think of God as a force. The moment the force stops an electrical current, the moment the generator stops working, the current stops running. The moment God stops creating us, we cease to exist. Not only does God create us every moment, but God creates every detail in every moment. Every molecule, every single thing that exists, God creates it at every single moment. We think that there are rules of physics, but really it is God creating at every moment according to rules that he created, making it all make perfect sense.
imagine a motion picture. We know, of course, that motion pictures, today called videos or movies, um, motion pictures are simply reels with lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of pictures. Um, today with digital pictures, um, you don't need individual pictures, but you could have each pixel moving one by one. Uh, but originally it was lots of different, um, originally it was lots of different um, reels uh, or reel of lots of different frames. Think of our world of, inf of infinite frames, every frame created by God. And just as the one who's making the motion picture has to draw the picture in um, comics, has to draw the picture or animated films of every single stage as it moves, because it has to move naturally in a natural looking way, God does the exact same thing. It's really closer to our digital system where every pixel is moving at every single moment. And God makes every pixel move in with what you, I guess we'd call today AI, artificial intelligence, making every single pixel move exactly as it does, exactly in the way it does, exactly organized the way it does. And so everything that happens in creation is not just God watching, keeping an eye on it, but every single thing that happens is God doing it at every single moment. Nothing happens without God wanting it to happen. God allows for everything to happen. God wants everything to happen and makes it happen as it does. Not only does everything happen with God wanting and allowing it to happen, everything that happens in creation is God has a reason and purpose for it to happen. There is nothing in creation without meaning. Every time even the Baal Shem Tov taught, every time a leaf flutters in the wind, God is making that leaf flutter. And there is reason and purpose in the grand plan of creation for it to happen. Now, in that way, when something happens to us, even when the unexpected happens, something totally unexpected, everything that happens to us, we believe, happens for a reason, happens for purpose. We thought one thing would happen, something else happened. We were planning just to drive somewhere, and then somebody rear-ended us, and we got into a bad accident. We could get angry at the person whose fault it was, or say, no, it's God's fault. God did it. It's all God's fault. God, but God had a reason for it. There was something I was meant to do here. There was something meaningful for my life. There was a reason I'm supposed to be here. Value that moment. There's purpose in what happened to me. There's no reason to get upset. There's no reason to ever get frustrated. God ordained that situation, situation to happen to me for reasons known to him. Don't blame anyone or anything that happened. We have to recognize that even though it may seem bad to us, there is a good reason, there is purpose for it happening. It is nobody's fault. It's God's fault. And God has a good reason. We may never understand the reason, but we must do everything we can to try to find something positive, to make the most of our situation.
someone one time came to the Rebbe and asked for a blessing for their father who was sick in hospital over Yom Kippur, the holy the holiday of Yom Kippur. And the Rebbe said, they're not in hospital for no reason. They are there for a reason and purpose. As soon as they fulfill their purpose, why they are there, they will be released. And so this fellow went and told his father what the Rebbe had told him. And so the father who had been in hospital decided that every doctor and every nurse that came in, he was going to ask them how they were. And what meaningful thing they are able to do. Ask them something meaningful that they're going to do today to make a positive impact. Do a mitzvah and encourage every nurse and every person that walked into his hospital room to do something positive. And he did that over Yom Kippur. That's how he spent Yom Kippur. The next day, he came home. He later met the Rebbe. The Rebbe told him, during your Yom Kippur, the impact you made on some of those people in the hospital was life-changing. You went to hospital, you were sick, but you changed people's lives. Often we don't see how negative things, bad things that happen to us, happen for a good reason, happen for us to do something. But when we recognize that everything that happens, happened for a purpose, happened for a reason, when we recognize there's a reason to everything, when we recognize that it's not because of whomever we are blaming, it is because God wants us to be in that position right now. When we recognize that, when we recognize that, we would never get upset, never get angry. Now, admittingly, there are some times when terrible tragedies happen. And no matter what good we find, there's no way that humans can ever justify what happened. And ultimately, we don't truly understand why God does things. But we do know that in whatever situation we are in, and that's a topic for another class, and we've discussed it before, as to why God does things that are horrible and that we can never understand. But we must, we humans must do our best, must do everything that we can do to try to justify, to try to find something positive in every negative situation. Now, there is one great challenge that I'm going to deal with in a moment which is, what about bad people who do bad things? Can we not blame them for the bad things that they do? Are they not at fault? If it's a person who chose to do bad, not just circumstance beyond anyone's control, or perhaps an accident, but when someone chose to do bad, can we blame them then? Can we get angry at them? So I'm going to address that question in a moment. I just want to bring it up. Um, before I open it to questions. But I'm sure you have some questions on what we just discussed. It's a very difficult concept. Um, but other than the question of how to respond to bad people who do bad, um, I'm going to open it now to questions if anyone has any questions or comments on what we just shared. It uh, sounds in conflict to free free will. Like It very sounds good. like everything is Very good. Programmed. That's the question we're going to address in a moment. What about when people do bad? Very good. I'm going to address that question in just a moment. Were there any other questions that don't involve free will or how, how we respond to bad people? Bart, did you have a question earlier? You have to unmute yourself. 
you answered it. I don't want to go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. So the big so the big challenge with this whole perspective, and we believe that everything that happens, no matter how bad it is, no matter what's to blame for it, it's really God doing it and this purpose meaning behind it. Not always can we understand God's reason, but we can make the most of any situation. So don't blame anyone. Don't blame anything. Just take advantage of the situation. Try to find a way to maximize the situation you're in. Actually, uh, Rabbi, the, uh, yes. what I was thinking of is, how do we uh, keep from being angry at God? That's a very good question. How do we have, <laughs> keep ourselves from being angry at God? So we need to recognize that God, in his infinite wisdom, has a purpose for everything. And ultimately, we believe that everything God does, that the, God does is good, um, and there is goodness in it. But we humans are not capable of understanding. And if we recognize that while difficult, we can keep ourselves from being angry at God. Um, it is okay to challenge God. It's okay to challenge, say, why God? Why are you doing it? Um, and ask God to change it, which we do in prayer. That's okay. Um, anger at God is not necessarily a good thing. Um, but what we should really need to be more concerned about is not anger at God, but rather anger at other people or anger at things and situations. With anger at God is easier to deal with. So what do we do when people knowingly harm somebody else? Somebody knowingly hurts somebody else. Somebody knowingly steals from you. Someone knowingly insults you. Somebody knowingly hurts you. Or worse, the worst possible thing, someone knowingly kills someone else. What do you do? Can you blame them? Can you be angry at them? Can you demand um, justice, demand punishment for the person who caused you harm? So here the Tanya says, and this is difficult, but here we have to learn to separate between the perpetrator and the victim, between the bad act and the bad result. We believe that God gives every human being free choice. Every person, this is a fundamental belief in Judaism, every soul, every person is given free choice. While our world is created by God at every moment, the soul is in our, our soul, our choice is in our own control. We are independent. We have the ability to choose. Choose good and choose bad. And if we make bad choices, we must pay for our bad choices. We believe that good choices result in good consequences. Bad choices result in bad consequences. Every person who chose bad should pay for that bad choice that they chose. And they should be punished for that bad choice. We believe that God punishes people who make bad choices. We believe society has a moral obligation to punish people who make bad choices in order to discourage others from making bad choices. Not only that, we should hate evil. We should hate bad actions. And by extension, we should be angry at the evil that people do. We should be upset by evil when people do bad. However, says the Tanya, 
that anger should only be at the evil choice that was made. We should be angry at the choice that was made. But that doesn't give us a right to blame. We should be angry that this person did something bad. But we shouldn't blame them for the bad result. We shouldn't blame them as a victim. And that is because while the choice to do bad is up to every person, every poor person can choose to do good or bad. We have daily choices to do good and bad. Sometimes small choices, small good, small bad. Sometimes big choices, big good, big bad. We all have choices. And we make choices good and bad. When you make a bad choice, society should punish you for that bad choice. However, from the victim's perspective, God would, God would only allow a victim to suffer from evil that was done to them because it's part of his master plan. The reason why the victim suffered is not because of the bad choice that the perpetrator made. The reason why the victim suffered is because God chose for them to suffer for reasons known to God, because God was giving them an opportunity that they may never know or may never understand, but it's up to them to find. We have to differentiate between the bad choice and the bad result. Take, for example, worst possible choice. Someone makes an evil choice to murder another human being. The worst action that you can do, that's why Judaism has capital punishment, the worst possible thing you can do is kill another person. Bad choice, terrible choice, the worst possible choice. We should hate that choice, be angry at that choice. Yet, the fact that they succeeded in their choice to kill, that wasn't because the perpetrator succeeded, that's because God chose to allow them to kill. Anything could have happened had God wished to stop it. God could have made the gun jam. God could have made the bullet miss. God could have made the fellow duck. Anything could have happened to stop that person being killed. Yet God allowed that person to be killed. Not only God allowed that person to be killed, God made that person killed because we made that person die. We're a, like we said, a motion picture film. God is creating every single frame. So as the bullet whizzes through the air, as the bullet leaves the gun and whizzes through the air, God is creating each frame as it happens. Like the movie director that chose to make the victim in the movie die. It was the choice of the writer of the movie. God is the writer of our movie. God chose to make that person die. Now, unlike the movie where the murderer is also chosen by the writer of the movie, God doesn't choose what the murderer will choose, doesn't. God gives the murderer free choice. But the murderer's success is because God allowed for it. God wanted that victim to die. Why, we may never know, but God wanted it. It was God's choice. Had the murderer not chosen to kill them, God would have found another way. As the Talmud says, God has many ways of doing things. God in his infinite power and infinite wisdom can figure out a way to get his will fulfilled, regardless of whatever choice people make. 
So the result is God's choice. The murder, though, the fact that one person attempted to kill a fellow human being, that was the murderer's choice. That was their choice to take that bad act. So the victim cannot blame the perpetrator. They can only blame God and recognize that it is part of God's master plan. Yet, we as a society must punish the murderer for their bad choices. And we learn this from King David. King David was fleeing from his son of Shalom, who led a rebellion against him. And on the way, as he and his men are fleeing Jerusalem um, across the Jordan River, he meets um, Shimi ben Gera, one of his, his longtime nemesis, who had always hated David. And Shimi begins to insult David and curse David. Shimi was alone. David had a group of men with him. One of David's men said, Yo, um, Yoav said, let me, go, let me go grab him. I can, I can hurt him in a moment. We're, we, 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 we outnumber him. David said, leave him. Leave him alone right now. David said, I take no offense for what he's done. I am not insulted. David said, I never get insulted from anything anyone says to me because God wants him to say that because God wants him to humble me. In fact, David believed that the entire rebellion against him by his own son was a lesson for him in humility. He had grown, grown to arrogance during his reign, during his time as king. And David, who always throughout his lifetime focused on the power of humility and worked on his humility, believed that this was a lesson in humility. God was teaching him humility. David said, I'm not insulted. God is telling him, the curses that I'm getting is God's will. The reason why I'm hearing them, the reason why God put me in a situation here to hear his insults is because God wants me humiliated to teach me humility, to teach me I was too arrogant as a king. I took things to myself. I took things to, I, things went too hard to my head. I am responsible for my arrogance. And so I don't take any insult. I don't want to take revenge of him. Yet David recognized that Shimi was wrong for insulting the king. And later David indeed did have Shimi punished for what he had done. Because society needs to punish people for their, um, for their bad acts. A leader um, would, in, um, at the time, the king would, insult, would punish people for that kind of insult, for cursing him. Yet, while he was wrong, Shimei was wrong, but David was not insulted. Because David said, yes, he's wrong for his bad choice, but I am suffering because God has chosen for me to suffer. Perhaps the greatest example of this is from Joseph. Joseph suffered the worst imaginable crime. When he was 17 years old, he was sold by his own brothers as a slave, kidnapped by his own brothers and sold as a slave. The worst imaginable crime. Yet, the Torah tells us, Joseph did not blame his brothers. He did not 
uphold them. He had no grudge against his brothers whatsoever. While they were wrong, and they deserved to be punished for their crime, Joseph had no personal grudge against them. He believed that he was sold as a slave because God wanted him to be sold in order for him to find his purpose. He believed that there was some great destiny waiting for him in slavery in Egypt. And indeed, after years of suffering as a slave, and later in prison after having been falsely accused of rape, he reached that destiny, becoming the king of Egypt, saving Egypt and society from a terrible famine, and ultimately saving his own family from dying of starvation during this famine. And later when Joseph meets his brothers, and his brothers are mortified and apologetic for what they've done and beg for forgiveness, Joseph says, I have no reason to forgive you. I never had a grudge against you. I never felt any grudge. I never felt any anger towards you because I knew from the moment I was sold as a slave when I was 17 years old that all my suffering is because of a greater destiny that awaits for me. It's all getting somewhere, somewhere very powerful. It is God doing it. God willed for me to be a slave in Egypt because for me to fulfill my great destiny. And so I have no grudge against you whatsoever. It is a very, very difficult thing to accept, a very, very difficult way to look at life. But if we can begin to look at life in this way, if we can think about and meditate regularly on how God creates our world at every moment, and every single thing that happens to us is God's will, God's plan. And the moment we feel ourselves feel ourselves getting angry at frust and or frustrated, stop for a second and think everything that happens is part of God's master plan. Yes, that individual may have been wrong for cutting me off on the street or pushing the line or perhaps some much more serious crime that they have committed. Yes, they may be wrong. And yes, perhaps that we as a society, the justice system, has an obligation to punish them. But I am not a victim. There is no such thing as a victim. Rather, what happened to me happened because it is God's plan for me. There are no victimhood doesn't exist. There is no such thing for a, as a victim. Everyone who suffers, whether due to society, due to things beyond their control, due to things within other people's control, due to circumstances or due to other people's bad decisions, it is all part of God's plan. And it is up to us to find the reason and find the purpose within this, this thing. We can find it. So rather, we, it's something that we will always struggle with because anger is, and frustration is a natural thing that humans feel. Assigning the blame is a natural thing that humans feel. It's a lifetime of struggle. It's not that we suddenly get this epiphany and never get stressed again. Life doesn't work like that. It is something we must constantly think about, constantly meditate. But if we can, and if we do, 
We recognize that there is no such thing as a victim. We are never a victim. We are, whatever pain we may feel, there is destiny in that pain. And while we must recognize other people who are suffering, we must empathize with people who are suffering, we are morally obligated to try to alleviate suffering in any way we can, including stopping people who are perpetrating it. We as a society must do everything we can to alleviate suffering. We also have to recognize there is no such thing as a victim. Whatever happens, however painful, is part of God's plan. We may not understand why God causes so much pain. We will never understand. But it is up to us as humans not to try to justify the pain, but try to find something positive and meaningful in any challenge that we face. Remember that whatever happens, it is not fate. There is no one to blame other than God, and we are not a victim. There is purpose and meaning behind what happened. We must find that purpose. If we truly believe that we are never victims, we will never, of circumstance or of other people's actions, we would never get angry. It's truly a work in progress. It's something we must work on our entire life. And it's not something that we suddenly, like I said, it's not an epiphany you're going to reach. It's something you must regularly think and meditate about it. It's something that when you feel frustration coming, stop and think, this is God's master plan for me. What's in it? What, how does God want me to grow from this situation? And if we can train ourselves to do this, it will change the way we respond to situations, change the way we deal with life. We have to know something bad happens. God allowed for, whether due to circumstance, whether due to someone's bad decisions, God allowed for it to happen. Don't be upset about the situation. Don't blame anyone or anything, but figure out what can I do to make the most of the situation and grow as a result. Now, I know there are many questions. Before I take questions, I just want to finish up because I am running over time. Um, 